Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Bhutantamang Sankang Namasami <clears throat> So now we're a little bit over the middle of the retreat and maybe at, at, at times you feel that the mind is really able not to be quite still or at least has slowed down by now. And you have maybe some <clears throat> the moments of of peace, and uh, that's a wonderful thing. And it's a real, you know, deep rest for us. Usually, the mind is very, very busy and uh, constantly bombarded with so much uh, stimuli that it's it's very difficult to. You know, to find space, really. And uh, you know, in a retreat like this, we we come, you know, quite close to to seeing more about ourselves, how our minds work. And I was speaking about you know, becoming aware of that we are living inside a, a certain box, uh, a certain view about ourselves and, and about the world. And then if we are practicing, we become aware of that. From time to time, you know, we, we are suddenly, you know, having an insight and, and we are realizing that uh, that we are living inside of limitations which are actually made by our own minds or by the conditioning of our own minds and when we you know start to see that when it starts to dawn on us that can be a very unpleasant experience but at the same time that's the beginning of the possibility you know to step out of it through seeing it and uh, recognizing it and uh, letting it go and you know, when we become aware in this way, then uh, you know that's when we, when the going gets really tough. When we, when we see that what we are what our minds is doing, it uh, you know can be difficult to just stay with that and to really turn towards it rather than turning away from it into further distraction. You know, like sinking or you know, eating something or reading something, turning on the phone, turning on the computer. So many, you know, distractions we are usually having at our fingertips, but during the retreat it's all a little bit more controlled and it's not so easy to distract ourselves. Even there are still, you know, things we can do. We can go to sleep, for example, or we can overeat at a meal. I mean, there's always avenues for distraction. If you really want it, you, you, you can do something. Even, you know, doing too much exercise can also become an obsession, you know. So there's so many kind of quite innocent 
activities, you know, which we can use to dis for distraction. And, uh, you know, being able to really turn towards what's happening in order to see more deeply into it. That's the, the way, you know, which is, we should go if we want to, you know, penetrate into those limitations and then, you know, see how they are operating and, and through that seeing it starts to dissolve. We don't need to do anything in particular other than really holding steady and, and uh, holding a steady gaze and not, you know, being um, afraid of what we are seeing. And, you know, the teaching of the Buddha has lots of kind of skillful means for us to help us to stay steady, you know, looking in the right direction. And for example, you know, what's called the three refuges, which we, you know, are chanting, we have been chanting it just this evening again, you know, the, the recollection of the Buddha, recollection of the Dhamma, and recollection of the Sangha. This is such a, you know, a very fundamental, skillful means of this practice, where we are, you know, we are using the conventional need for refuge, like security, safety, certainty, you know, confession, all of those natural tendencies of the human mind. And not even only the human mind, even, you know, animals need that too, they need security and they need uh, safety. They look for that. And we can use that, that these very conventional tendencies, use them as, as gateways for liberation. You know, we recognize the tendencies and then we shift the focus, you know, because we can't find security in, uh, you know, going into a cave. Because even if in a cave we take our mind with us and old age, sickness and death is coming with us, so, you know, crawling into a hole, it doesn't really work. But, you know, taking refuge in uh, awakening or taking refuge in, in Buddha or awareness, that does work. And taking refuge in the, in the Dhamma, it's the, the teaching, the guidance, you know, how to go about applying the mind and then taking refuge in Sangha, which is, you know, taking refuge in those who are together with us on the path. You know, even, you know, everybody is, has to practice for themselves and for herself on her own. But, you know, knowing that there's 60 other people also struggling away in a similar way is still very helpful, I think. Even if nobody can help me, you know, to break through my uh, limitations, I have to do that by myself. But if I'm knowing there's other people doing the same thing, it just makes it so much easier. So I wanted to speak a little bit about those refugees. And, you know, the refugees, they are not protecting us from difficulties. They are not protecting us from, you know, having an accident or getting sick or losing something. We really, you know, cherish. That's all still going to happen. But, you know, having taken the refuge, just helps us to transform all of those obstacles into opportunities.
you know, what was before, you know, we have heard about the possibilities, what this teaching is holding, you know, before we heard that, we were always, you know, every time something is going against our wishes, it's seen as a, you know, as a, as a defeat, as a loss, as a, as a, you know, as something very, you know, very negative. But if we have the right attitude, you know, to practice, then we can still, you know, of course be sad if any of those things are happening, but we can use everything, you know, even the most difficult experience, we can use it, you know, for learning from it. And when we take the refugees, it can really help us to stay, you know, turned in the right direction. It's like a compass, really, which is always here, you know. And uh, in the beginning, you know, those three refugees, they are more externally, like, you know, taking refuge in the, in the Buddha, you know, the historical uh, Buddha Shakyamuni who has lived, you know, some thousand years ago. But then later on, you know, if we are applying the practice in the right way, we start to recognize that that very Buddha is actually inside of us, you know, and then that it starts to shift, it becomes more, you can say sophisticated, it becomes more deep, because we take refuge in our own capacity for awareness. And, and the Buddha was a human being, you know, who has um, perfected, you know, the practice to the utmost uh, capacity, and he has showed us, you know, that we can do this as well. And, uh, you know, we're starting with the external refuge, the external Buddha, you know, sitting on the shrine as a symbol. But then over time, you know, we are internalizing that. And the, with the Dhamma is, is the same, you know. In the beginning we hear people speaking about it and we read it in books and so on and so forth. But then, you know, over time, we, we start to recognize, we start to see these very principles, you know, these very systems and structures which we are speaking about. You can see them happening inside yourself. It's again, you know, we start to integrate what we are hearing. And with the Sangha, you know, we are taking refuge in in, the, in this capacity, you know, to realize this teaching. And, you know, the Sangha is, is a group of people, we, we share values uh, with, with each other. And, you know, it's in the Sangha where we can basically, we can test drive, you know, our intentions. Those things which we are hearing and then we are practicing, we can then, you know, put them into practice with each other. And it's in the Sangha that we, you know, we kind of bump up against each other and we kind of, ideally, you know, those edges and those um, difficulties, they, they, we are rubbing up against each other and through that, you know, we are learning and, and those edges get smoother and smoother over time. Sometimes it's compared, you know, with very coarse stones getting tumbled together 
and then over time, you know, they, they become very smooth, like stones, you know, who are in a, in a river for a long time, they get very smooth and um, round, and they are moving together much easier than before. So, you know, those three refugees are uh, the fundamental uh, principles. You know, if we have really, you know, ex let's say if we can accept them, that's what would make us a Buddhist. You know, taking refugees like the classic step into, you know, saying I've taken the refuge now, I consider myself a Buddhist. I consider those principles as my you know, guiding uh, principles for my life. And, um, and they always come in, uh, in a package together with the precepts, because, you know, you can't, I mean, you can take the refuges and not taking the precepts, but that kind of doesn't really, you know, work uh, very well, because the precepts are, you know, very necessary in order to stay focused in the, in the right way. So the refuge and the precepts are the fundamental template, you know, from which we are working and from which we are using as a support system. And, you know, the practice which is based on such a support system is, is very sturdy, you know, it can use anything for insight. And we don't have to have any special, you know, example in order to apply these uh, principles. We can use whatever is just right now happening in our lives, as, you know, little or as huge it is, everything can be used for practice. And, you know, sometimes we have extremely conducive uh, conditions, just like this retreat, for example. And, you know, and then, even then it's difficult, you know. And sometimes, you know, the, it's, it's extremely, extremely challenging. And we can still use those principles to meet whatever is happening. And... Um, You know, generally, what we are seeing is, you know, first we have to get sufficiently, you know, fed up, really, with trying to find refuge in, in the ever-changing conditions of our lives, you know, trying to find some lasting uh, security or safety in conditions once we have seeing that, you know, clear enough that this is not really possible, then we are ripe, you know, to turn towards those refuges, you know, especially, you know, the main refuge, the refuge of Buddha, or awareness. First we have to see, you know, very clearly for ourselves that all conditioned things, you know, our bodies, our loved ones, our pets, even our planet, you know, everything 
everything is constantly changing, it's unsatisfactory, and it you know, can't be called me or mine. Any of those things, you know, the big things and the small things, they all underlay those uh, three characteristics. Impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, and not self. You know, and once we have seen that clear enough, then we, we really have a motivation that we want to step out. We want to step away, you know, from this um, ever-changing, you know, carousel, which is called samsara. Because we can see very clearly, you know, that we cannot find rest in this way. And then, you know, we start to turn towards that which knows those conditions. And this is, you know, what the refuge of Buddha is all about, is knowing awareness, or like our true nature, it's sometimes also called. Our Buddha nature, it's also called. This capacity, you know, to know what is happening, without getting lost in it. Nothing changes in terms of, you know, everything is still impermanent, unsatisfactory, and not self. But we are not lost in that, you know. We're knowing it, and this is the difference. The difference is very, quite subtle, you know, but it's, it's, it's vast at the same time, you know. It's like the two sides of a coin, and uh, they're both coexisting at the same time. But if we are lost, you know, in the conditioned, we are constantly, you know, kind of getting tumbled around and we are completely at the mercy of what's happening. But if we are taking refuge in awareness, refuge in Buddha, then those, this tumbling process is still happening. But we are not at the mercy of it. And, you know, this is what we are cultivating here, you know, in, in the retreat and any moment when we are practicing, we are cultivating, you know, to find a greater capacity to be the knowing rather than to be tumbled by the causes and conditions. This is what we try to, you know, we try to recondition the mind to move over, you know, from one side to the other side and find that resting place, you know, through making itself familiar with it, you know. And in the retreat we have this very good situation, you know, where the mind is supported to slow down because there are so many, you know, things we normally have to take care of, we don't have to take care of. So the mind is encouraged, you know, to slow down. And, you know, when the five hindrances are not present in the mind, when the mind is really clear and still, that's, you know, when we are in the refuge. And then, you know, maybe the hindrances, you know, arise again. And then in, as soon as we notice it, we are again you know, aware of the hindrances, and as soon as we are aware, we are stepping out of it. We are again, you know, aware in the, we are the knowing.
And you know, this uh, this is the practice really to recognize what's happening and to be the knowing. And it's a very, very simple practice, as we have said many times, you know. And, you know, being the knowing is just being here now and being aware of, for example, you hear my voice, but then you can be aware of hearing my voice. And you know, when I stop speaking, there's the silence. You can be aware of the silence. And you can hear, you know, you can hear the hum of the loudspeaker, and then you can hear the silence behind the hum. And you notice, you know, that when you're listening in this way, that your mind is wide open. And you can't listen to the silence behind the hum of the loudspeaker and think at the same time. This is not possible. <coughs> so, you know, any moment you, you kind of you're aware of the silence behind the hum of the loudspeaker, or you could say you're listening to the space, you know, which is, you can't really listen to space, but it's just a mode of speaking, a pointer. You know, in that space, that silence, it doesn't end at the walls of this room. It goes to the edge of the universe, really. So just, this gives you a taste, you know, of what it is to be aware of awareness. And it's also, you could say, that's a taste of uh, what Nibbana is. You know, a wide open, mind with nothing in it. It's like just like a mirror, you know, which is reflecting back what's happening right now. And then as soon as you start thinking again, you know, then the dye comes in again into you know, kind of or the wind goes over the surface of the water or the algae starts growing, you know. And then any moment you are aware of awareness, then there is again this clear surface, you know, which reflects back the way things are. Just simply reflecting back what is happening without any comment, any additions, any story, just that. You know, and this is uh, what the enlightened mind is. And we can taste it for a very tiny second, uh, even a split second, we can taste that. And it's exactly the way it is. And you know, someone who has cultivated their mind to a great extent can abide much longer, you know, in that pure knowing. We can only have like a little taste, but we can repeat it a million times, 10 million times. This is, you know, what we are wanting to do in the practice is to repeat that recognition, to familiarize ourselves with that pure knowing, you know, to... And through that we are more and more able to stay in that. And then also to remember it, you know, in times of great challenge.
if we haven't trained ourselves really thoroughly, then we get thrown off so easily, you know, just like we see a little bird flying by already forgotten, you know. But ideally, you know, we want to be able to remember that when we are dying. This is what we are practicing for, you know, in the moment of death, if we can stay open, that's a very great opportunity, you know. Or whenever something is happening, you know, which is very scary, to be able to stay open, you know, to be able to not <coughs> shut down and have some preconceived ideas what's going to happen next. This is, you know, why we are practicing, to be able to abide in that open mind. And it brings up, you know, this is where the mind shuts down again and again, is because it brings up this feeling of, ah, I don't, you know, uh, this feeling of maybe fear, you know, a, a tenderness, a kind of, uh, because we're just not familiar enough, you know, with it. This is why we can't really stay with it for long. But if we are practicing like for 20 years, 30, 40, 50 years, this capacity does improve, for sure. And it doesn't sound like much, you know, but it's, it's all the, all, this is everything what matters, you know, if we can improve that capacity, if we can make that stronger, you know, that's a well-used lifetime. Because there's nothing more important than that. And I find this sentence very beautiful, you know, with practice, we recognize in ourselves the, the very Buddha in which we take refuge. So by simply by doing this simple practice, you know, then the Buddha which in the beginning sits on the shrine, you know, and is like uh, an example of equanimity, let's say, some example of good practice, then, you know, he, he comes off the shrine and, and he's just going to be in here. And then, you know, your own body becomes your shrine and becomes your, the center of your practice, as another Buddha was saying, you know, the Buddha said that everything we need for complete enlightenment is inside this, you know, what's called fathom-long body in the scriptures. It's all in there. But we have to just look in the right way. Because we always tend to look outside of ourselves and, you know, we always think everything is not okay because of what, all of those things which are happening out there, you know. But the world, you know, isn't, it isn't bad or anything, or the world isn't, doesn't have an agenda, you know, to deceive us or to disappoint us or anything like this. It's just what we are projecting onto the world is just not in sync with reality, you know, and then we get kind of disappointed. But it's not because, you know, the things of the world are out to deceive us. It's just that we are not really 
well informed, you know. We haven't taken the pains, you know, to, to look through the surface appearances into what's really happening. So we have to change our minds because the world is just what it is. And I think, you know, probably you have experienced it in your life, you know, you, one day, you know, one experience can be really great and the next day you have a very similar, you know, similar circumstances, but it isn't, it's, you, you don't like it, you know. It has nothing to do with the things. It has everything to do with the states of our own mind. Even, you know, the most wonderful food, so one day you, you really like it, if you're very sad or angry, you eat the same food, nothing. You know, you, you don't even recognize what's going on because you're so preoccupied with your own kind of suffering. And, you know, the three refuges, we also use them, you know, in, in our kind of daily routine, you know, we use the bowing, we, we use symbols, we use uh, different, you know, chanting, and, you know, we use even our, our ropes, you know, they are all different symbols and reminders which help us to stay energized, to stay inspired to stay focused and you know those symbols they are they are skillful means you know which we can use to transform energy I have a brother quote by Carl Gustav Jung he's saying um, the psychological mechanism for the transformation of energy is the symbol so you know it's not to be underestimated what those symbols can do for us Especially, you know, when the going gets tough, then being able, you know, to bow can be really wonderful. It can give you, you know, a, a, a feeling of belonging, you know, to a process which has a lot of power and which is far beyond, you know, what the intellectual mind can, can fathom. But you, you can just let go into it. And, and the bowing is, is a gesture, is a symbol of that, you know, giving yourself to this and allowing it to carry you. And then, you know, we have to just make sure we bow to the right thing. Because otherwise we get carried into a direction which isn't actually bringing us to freedom. But if we bow in the right direction, then you know, we, this is a surrender into a much bigger intelligence than our own. And also, you know, just knowing that, you know, if, if there is suffering, we intuitively know that suffering has, there's something is not quite balanced here, you know, we are, we are not, you know, in, we are not 
in harmony with the way things are. And there's, and if we're not in harmony with the way things are, there's something we can do about that. You know, there's this, uh, you know, even the most rudimentary life forms, you know, if, if they are confronted with pain, like a worm or anything, it will shy away from it. Even, you know, plants or very, very basic organisms, if they are impacted with, with hardship, they will turn away. And, you know, so we can trust, we have this internal intuitive knowing, you know, that if we are going in the wrong direction at one point, you know, we hitting rock bottom, we, we know it doesn't go this way and we, we start to turn in, in the right direction. And it's, you know, using this, this uh, intelligence, you know, which is suffusing our own body and mind, you know, using that and then, you know, aligning ourselves with, with the clarity of the teachings of the, of the Buddha is a very, you know, compassionate thing which we can do for ourselves, you know. Because this, you know, this wish for safety and this wish for peace, you know, this is the seeds of loving kindness and uh, compassion, you know, which we have already in ourselves, you know. First it's, it's for ourselves and then also we can extrapolate that onto others. And this is already here in seed form, we just need to kind of find a way to get a handle on it and start training that, you know. And it will become stronger and stronger. And, you know, taking the refuges and the precepts is a, a very good uh, template, you know, where we can, um, you know, get a handle on those seeds which are already there, we are born with it. And then we're just going to train them, you know, to, and they become stronger and stronger, they're going to flower. And the mud, you know, and the mess of our lives are the, the you know, the compost and the soil out of which those seeds, you know, can grow very strong and they can become really big, you know. Starting with a tiny, tiny seed becoming an oak tree. And this is laws of nature working, you know, we don't have to make it happen. We just have to attend in the right way. And it's going to happen. And, you know, the essence of what is going to happen is, you know, that our dependence on on the things, you know, which are impermanent, unsatisfactory and not self, shifts and we start to, you know, find our home and we find our ground in awareness. And then this awareness, you know, still attends to all of those things which are arising and ceasing because, you know, even our body is a thing, we have to attend to it. But it's, it's a different way of being. Because there is, is a capacity to step back and not to disconnect, but to step back and see the bigger picture, you know. See things in context and not taking it also personal. But just really seeing, okay, this is nature 
and I'm part of nature, and nature underlies certain laws. And if we get to know those laws, we can stop working against those laws. We can stop working in harmony with those laws, and then there's less and less friction, and there's more and more peace. And if there's more and more peace, you know, there's more and more capacity for looking into the depths and then, you know, there's more and more insight and it's a, it's a beautiful uh, process, you know. And I was speaking about the seven factors of enlightenment, then the hindrances get transformed into the seven factors of enlightenment. And I um, can speak about those maybe at another evening, because they are really also how, you know, why we are practicing to strengthen those seven factors of enlightenment. And all of those qualities, they are in us in seed form already, you know. They just need to be attended to in the right way. And then they will get stronger. So now resting in awareness and uh, being the knowing, you know, our teacher Ajahn Sumedha has always been uh, speaking about being the knowing and the way things are. And it is like this. It's just what it is, you know. We don't need to put something on top of it. It's just that. It's neither good nor bad. It's just what it is. And then if we all relate it always back to our own preferences, you know, then we say some things are good and some things are bad. The good things is the things which we like and the bad things are the things we don't like. But in reality, you know, the things are not good or bad. They are just what they are. This is just like an extra addition, you know, which we put on it. And some things are bad for some people and good for other people. And it's a complete mess, you know. This is why there's so much um, strife going on, because people have different opinions what is good and what is bad. So it's, it's very arbitrary, you know. But things are what they are, and, you know, the pure mind, the awareness, Buddha nature, just reflects things back to us as they are. Just simply, you know, without a story, without a judgment. And if we are resting in this awareness, you know, then we can see things without judgment, without the personal agenda. So I hope, you know, that helps a little bit to clarify, you know, what is the essence of what we are trying to cultivate. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.